Welcome to 30 Years of Dough. It's the super sidetracked, irrelevant show. How come it I was. didn't get offered a half pint of gin? Oh, well, you didn't even get to try the uh, the drink because it was gone before you showed up. Yeah, it's fine. Pear syrup, cherry bark vanilla bitters, lemon dry gin, Ooh, soda water, lemon twist. I like a pear. It was good. Tastes great. Hi. <laughs> How's it going, sexies? Cuties. We're, we're going to start episode four. Can I go and throw out these disgusting infused skills? Um, it doesn't involve talking into the microphone. <laughs> I'm talking into the microphone. No, but I, but this is like the only time that I want you to stop that. So Chris can introduce the show. Um, you can you can throw that out and you can you can get the Carl's Bear out or whatever you want. Uh, I'm gonna do that while Chris does the intro. All right. I want these out of my life. <laughs> Hello again, friends. This is Chris Connolly here with Matt Slingsby on another exciting adventure traveling through time with the family Simpson. Welcome to 30 Years of Dope! 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 You may have heard that there are indeed two new does out there joining us. Uh, indeed, we do have two very special guests joining us again for the second half of our double decker podcast um our first guest here is mr paul gifford say hello aloha and our second guest who you just heard talk to death if you're listening to these episodes concurrently which you might not be mr andrew ironmonger say hello ahoy hoy so a quick little blurb about what's going on today is we are recording back-to-back episodes of 30 years of dough and again if you're listening in order, you've already heard the first one. Uh, so, Lucky you. So Andrew was up first, and now we're we're on to Paul. Um, and again, we're revisiting episodes of The Simpsons 30 Years in the Future, but because we haven't arrived at that magical air date of December 19th, 2019, put that in your eye calendar, uh, we will be uh, doing Simpsons Roasting on an Open Fire for real um we are here to discuss generationality where we've come as humans as simpsons fans as canadians and what has remained timeless and what is best left buried deep at least for millennials and generation xers uh deep 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 in the past um so we're finding our footing uh 30 years ago the simpsons were little little blurbs or bumpers on the tracy ullman show uh and we've got some podcasters here to uh, help us build the framework of this show and have some wacky wacky times along the way um so we're enjoying the process of creating this show uh and finding out what it is that is 30 years of dope dope and so today's episode is all about spirits and cocktails uh in the simpsons universe so it's fitting that we have paul our feature guest, uh, a renowned bartender and cocktail creationist. I, I wrote creationist in the show notes just to piss everybody off. Um, See, I kind of like that. <laughs> <laughs> Smart. Um, and we're here. We're going to talk about uh, all things spirituous in The Simpsons. Uh, and we're going to do our rendition of a flaming Homer mm-hmm. or a train wreck that kind of looks like one at the end of the show. <laughs> I'm also going to preemptively refuse to consume whatever's... And yet you tried the Skittle Brow. 
And it was gross. I was right to not want to drink it. How could you not want to try a flaming homer? Mo. 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 Stay on target. And so I opened with a quote in Andrew's episode, and apparently I'm going to keep doing that for as long as it pleases me. Yes. Uh, So this one's from Troy McClure. I actually don't have the episode because I'm so well prepared. Uh, Ah, sweet liquor eases the pain. Ah, bourbon brownest of the brown liquors. (laughs) What's that? You want me to drink you now right here in front of all of these people? Same same voice, different character, too. So that's Lionel Hutz. No. Yeah. Yeah. No, I see. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> inimitable Phil Hartman. Yes. Um, all right. I'm going to jump right into this because we're going to be better at time this time. Uh, I'm going to fire some questions. Do it. Paul, do you want these just kind of rapid fire? Rapid or? fire. All right. So what brought you into the world of The Simpsons? I honestly don't remember, which is a terrible answer. So you, like, you can't even situate like childhood I, like well how i old you would have been I, I alluded to this in the previous episode because i said i wasn't going to answer until this uh-huh. one um i wasn't allowed to watch the simpsons when i was growing up so you were that oh, friend i was a hundred percent but the I thing is you. this was my mom's weird like i wasn't allowed to watch full house either and that's, i don't know if that's, that's because a really bizarre i don't know if this is just because she was aware of uh bob saget's terrible like, stand-up comedy i don't think so because she wasn't that hip but like that's the only thing i can think of because if there was ever a more wholesome childhood oriented sitcom it was full house uh but yeah when she ended up in hospice care in the last couple of years of her life my dad was like i don't fucking care watch whatever you want um, and we ended up watching a bit of that he doesn't especially care for the simpsons but i i dive pretty hardcore into that when i would have been like eight or nine uh, and I do very distinctly remember watching the pilot when I was probably like 10 on like CTV or something and being like, oh, my God, I've seen the first episode now. <laughs> uh, I don't remember why I wanted to outside it of that I wasn't allowed to. It's complete. <clears throat> I, my mom wasn't crazy about the show, uh, but the Trey Parker and. Oh, the, see, I hated South, South Park. Park and the, I still the do. The rest of that, that crew did me the hugest favor by coming on the air right as I started watching The Simpsons. Yeah. And South Park was just so much worse for my yeah. mom. And she's like, yeah. yeah, you can watch The Simpsons, but you're not watching South Park. Yeah, so that's why I watched South Park anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and see, I always hated God it, but now it, everyone, you guys are all coming around <laughs> to my point of view now. They're a bunch of fucking edgelords. Yeah, no, they're terrible. But uh, yeah, no, I, I don't remember why I wanted to other than that it just existed, but I was around eight or nine when I actually properly started watching. And like, so what do you still like about The Simpsons, and why are you here? What what brings you on board our, our wacky, wacky podcast? I mean, real talk, I haven't seen an episode of The Simpsons in like eight years. Uh, I don't have cable, though, and I haven't in like... Does anyone here have cable? Matthew puts his hands up. I have cable. Matthias. That visual gag for the audio podcast. Do you watch football on it? No. Oh, that's what I thought cable was for. Carry on. Football is fucking stupid. I, I like... I've tried to track it down. I just I can't justify spending the money on the DVDs and without admitting to anything, um I may or may not allegedly have been unable to find a possibly semi-legal torrent download of the series of the the seasons I wanted to watch. So I haven't actually seen any in a while. But yeah, um the humor, I think it's a, generally has aged pretty well. I mean, I shouldn't say I haven't watched any episodes. I just haven't watched much in a while um whenever i'm house sitting for my dad i'll end up watching stuff on on cable or whatever but uh i certainly see enough of the jokes come around on social media and youtube and what have you that uh i i I don't know i think i think 
uh, like animated gifs and memes really have so much <coughs> so much material to draw on for this for the simpsons so they they do kind of regurgitate their way through the, the the internet currently i would also say i feel like there is a a particular generation of sitcoms that struck a particular personality type in the the like mid to late 90s and early aughts um and i would include the better seasons of the simpsons so we'll come back to that uh like the back half of the run of seinfeld um the original run of futurama for some the original run of family guy uh things of that nature were all kind of an interconnected those who as we spoke in the last episode were all within like five years of each yeah. other and there's a particular the late 90s to early 2000s yeah i mean we're all born like post 1985 yeah uh 1985 to 89 i'm pretty sure because i'm as i said in the last app i'm yeah. pretty sure i'm the youngest um and there's a, a particular shared cultural milieu that, like, those are those are touch points. And that was kind of that, like, threshold of pre-internet, what led into meme culture where, like, a generation of millennials all kind of share Seinfeld, Simpsons, Futurama, Friends, for some. I mean, I'm, I'm not in that particular sphere. But, like, give me uh, Frasier, Cheers, Simpsons, Seinfeld, early Futurama, and we could go all day. And we could have a podcast for every single you one. You all shut the yes! fuck up. <laughs> um, shut up. Matt and I already Same have a podcast about Frasier. It's called Drink This Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> with foreboding notes of vanilla. vanilla. <laughs> well, what am I supposed to do with this tossed salad and scrambled eggs? Well, I hear the blues are calling. Yeah. You're again. And again. Ding, ding, ding. All right. Well, we're going to jump into the first episode I wanted to talk to Paul about. Uh, and this one, I actually went a little further in the Simpsons uh, chronology than I, I I normally venture. So uh, I went to season 13, uh, the Damn. third episode. So this is uh, actually aired in 2001. Wow. Post 9-11. Um, post 9-11. It changed everything. 9-11. It changed everything. Not giving a ton of a lead-in for this episode, uh, but... Uh, so a depressed Mo um, wants to kind of reaffirm his his love for the craft of bartending and returns to his alma mater or uh, the bartending school, which did I, uh, Swigmore University. And I don't have a, a super heavy frame of reference for this episode. I found it interesting that you it's, picked it. It's forgettable. It, it's, I, you know what? Well, I, don't think it's <laughs> I would disagree. Um, well, and I, I think for Paul, maybe like the, the bartending voice of Mo maybe speaks to you. I am losing my horny. <laughs> I know for sure I've had a fantasy of op- either opening a real bar or a home bar <clears throat> and like the things that I would do. <laughs> uh, and I, I just I really want to ask Paul, like, like if there's a dream home bar, or real bar that you can create in the world, like what does that look like? Um, so. Real, are there are there people in it? Where have you been there? <laughs> Real talk circa about well, okay, there's two. Real talk circa about two thousand and oh, late two thousand twelve, early two thousand and thirteen. Myself and two of my my best friends were actually like this close to opening up a bar. I um, remember that we had a location, we had a, a theme. Um, it was just that the local neighborhood association wouldn't actually give us a license, and uh, I I won't go into too much depth since it didn't end up happening but it was a not dissimilar premise from something that ended up opening about a year and a half after that uh in the same neighborhood um i still think we could have done better but 
different different vibe uh so yeah that's definitely something i put a lot of thought into if i were to come into 100 million dollars tomorrow um i would probably look pretty seriously into opening up some kind of a place for people to come and drink there is one that i came pretty close to which is a lot of wood paneling uh 1950s and 60s like vocal jazz uh books yeah (laughs) look around my apartment for those who've been there (laughs) rich mahogany (laughs) rich mahogany um i i did actually for a while i bartended at the bothy in downtown and the vibe there was not far off um when i was the one in charge in that you know there was a night in february one night where there were couples that pushed the tables out of the way and danced slowly to sinatra while the snow was falling outside in a wood paneled bar like that's kind of my thing um that said i've also been in the other variant of my bar which was the very old english pub um and i discovered that by accident with my dad when we were in london in 2008 and we went wandering in the embassy district and stumbled onto this little place which claimed to have been opened in like 1708 which had i want to say like five seats at the bar uh a couch or two and one table and like 15 taps and this would have been again like circa 2008 so for someone from edmonton this was like ah yeah So one of two variants on this, the like 40 top old school cocktail bar where you can sit and have a well-made martini and listen to Sinatra at 11 during the snow, like watching the snow fall outside, mm-hmm. or the ancient English pub that's essentially my living room with draft taps. One of those two <laughs> would be my version of a yes. perfect bar. And I don't know which I'm going to end up going for, knowing me now, probably the former, uh, because if I'm anything, I'm a cocktail guy, I mean... That's pretty much my only social media uh, platform that anyone who actually knows me in person knows is cocktail recipes and, and shit like that. Uh, but somewhere between the two, either a very old school English pub or like a, a 60s, early 60s cocktail bar would be my thing. Awesome. That's so, a goddamn good answer. <laughs> I think so. I think it's something that like everyone here is just like, yeah, I'd go to that. <clears throat> yeah. Why, um, why aren't we there right now? <laughs> um, someday I'm going to open that in my basement when I own a house, and then I'm just going to have people over and make them martinis. So yeah. I, I would actually go back and say that I've since bumped into some people that actually came and visited during that brief stretch uh, at the end of the winter that I was first bartending at the Bothy, where um, there there's actually some people I've met through friends that came in during the like two-week stretch where I was doing closes on weekdays and it was still snowing in like late February and remember those nights because there was one where the, the like last five tables at 11 just pushed all the tables out of the way and started slow dancing. <laughs> I think that one was Della Fitzgerald. Uh, but yeah, it was like minus 10 and the snow was falling and big, heavy fucking snowflakes. And like, I've had people come up to me and say like, I actually remember being in the bar. <laughs> that's that magical. Night. Yeah, like, that's, that should that's, be a painting. And I, I will say like, I, I told be, the, like the intro to like a romantic comedy. Or something I fucking like told my customers those nights. This is my dream. I, I always wanted to be a bartender at a bar on a night like tonight, listening to Ella Fitzgerald while the snowfall fell. And I had tables fucking slow dancing. Like, yeah, no, we're happy here. That's <laughs> beautiful, man. <laughs> this is it why is. you get behind the wood. Not, not to serve asshole drunks yep. that yep. pointed things behind your bar. And I made money accordingly because people were also happy. <laughs> well, that, yeah, that's the thing. You make a good cocktail and nothing else Nothing else in that moment matters. You just. I'm pretty confident in saying everyone here has had at least a few of my drinks. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we can all attest that I, I was serving acceptable cocktails to meet the moment. I'd swill. I'd, yeah. I, would, I would swill those again. We, we'd, we'd have a sip or two for that. Um, so in the, in this, uh, home or Mo going back to bartending, um, little thing, he, he rebrands Mo's as, I think it's just the letter M. M. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, with that very early aughts, like the the spotlights yeah. and the fucking eyes so, on the wall. Like, was there ever anything truly that postmodern ever open in Edmonton? Like, I was trying to think. Um, <laughs> Didn't it close? <laughs> Alta. <laughs> Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I feel um, like you guys would have to answer that. The first North 53 uh, tasting menu. Uh, <laughs> like I can't think of anything that was like truly like that that far to the extreme as is depicted in the show. So I only moved here in 06. And uh my my idea of drinking culture evolved over the years because the two examples of cited have always been what I appreciated, but when I first moved here, I was not quite drinking age, and uh, I didn't. My, my first real exposure to a vibrant drinking culture was in London, because I, I was old enough to drink here for a year or two before that, but I hadn't really been out much. And then I went and spent nine days just like wandering in downtown London and and stumbling into little like corner pubs in Covent Garden and sitting for a pint or two and reading the paper for an hour or two and then moving on. And coming back, I was very much spoiled. <clears throat> um, but I also didn't really go searching for places to drink outside of campus or the shitty suburban neighborhood I lived in when I came back, where the nearest drinking establishment period was a 40-minute walk away, uh, let alone a good one. Uh, so I don't know. If, did, did that ever exist here? Because I sure never fucking saw like, it. I, I can't for the life of me think of something that was that over the top yeah no, no i can't either that's the joy like with, of the like, simpsons like, they can like create like with chaises <laughs> and odd tables in weird places and i feel like bar stools prob- on the ceiling <laughs> it's, it's likely a better represented aesthetic in calgary i was just gonna say not to lean into the edmonton calgary thing but i feel like that's more a calgary bar <laughs> i can think of like three bars that i think of that exact okay in calgary model milk is one of them as much as i love the place it's built to be weird. Oh, certainly. Well, and I, I think even it's throttled back, just especially in, in on the decor side of things, just because their space is confined and they need to put more bums in there. Oh, yeah. So I remember going in there the first time and thinking, my beard isn't big enough. I'm not wearing enough plaid and I don't have enough tattoos. There have been a couple of times where I've walked in and I don't have any tattoos and I wear a lot of plaid and I have a big beard, but I'm like... I'm not hip enough. I don't to be. belong here. And that's actually one of my favorite places to go. I love going too. there. The food's amazing. Yeah. Uh, but I like the crowd is not me. Yeah. No. Okay. I can. Can I also just pose a question then? Because part of why uh, I have such a a like longing fondness for the kinds of, of drinking establishments I've been talking about is that I don't know a lot of them. There are places that aspire to be an English pub or to be that. 50s 60s like jazz bar thing but there's never been a place i've walked into where i went i feel like andrew's going to disagree but there's never been a place i've walked into at least in edmonton in in calgary there's a place okay well we'll come back to calgary in a second finish your thoughts sorry (laughs) i'll find the name of it (laughs) at least where within edmonton there's never been a place that i've really walked into outside of those nights when i was running it which were many years ago and again one-offs because that wasn't necessarily the vibe of the bar as a whole that was just it's a snowy night i'm gonna make this my fucking place yeah uh where I really felt that because anytime I've gone into a, a, a place that kind of aspires to be either the like English pub or the fifties jazz bar, it ends up just being really like young people with a lot of tattoos and like eccentric facial hair or whatever. And like nothing against that. I can dig that. It's just, that's not me. 
And if I'm going to go and sit in one of those places, it's like, I'm, this is not, this is not me. I'm, I'm not hip enough to be here. And the closest that I would come on that is maybe like 53, but even then that's like, they're playing old school punk rock, not you're playing hip hop most of the time. (laughs) It's, it's, it's not, I'm not going to listen to the Rat Pack or Ella Fitzgerald or, or like, yeah, yeah. You know, the other thing that I would say, which I, I did not, um, get into earlier and I, I probably should, I wouldn't necessarily open it, but give me a really fucking good dive bar any day. Uh, and I, I don't mean in a like sketchy kind of vibe. I mean, like give me a place where I can go and get a pint of Guinness and a shot of Jameson's for cheap at three in the afternoon where there's a bunch of old guys drinking and they're playing like old fucking punk rock <laughs> uh, with no windows. <laughs> And like a, a fucking pool table and a jukebox in the corner, you and duck yeah. through the archways. Well, yeah, no, I'd be. I, I I'm like, real happy. I feel in like those a places. couple of those places probably do exist in the city. Oh yeah. But oh, like, one of them just opened. Um, I've only been there once or twice, but there's a place just up the road from me on White Ave called Black Bar, where they've got blacked out windows. They're playing like old crappy metal music. Is that uh, on kind of like the one o between one o eight and one o seven? Yeah, there, that's okay. right, just past Tops. Uh, I've, I've only been there a couple times, but it's like exactly what I want from a sketchy, like pseudo dive bar. It's amazing. I you, love it. You want the doorman to just grunt at you? Or? I fucking love it. <laughs> uh, my only complaint about them is they're only oh, open boy. in the evenings and I want to go and day drink there. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Well, as, it- as, as I think we are want to do in, in people with industry experience, like when, when you, when you want to go out on a, on a, on a drinking adventure my drinking adventure never starts late at night anymore maybe no. i'm just an old man mine like, is why never. then you gotta drink with the people who've only been drinking in the evening they're yeah. the worst <laughs> rookies also then you gotta get home like yeah. when it's during the day there's ready cabs you can take a bus you, you get down you, to the delicatessen for the early but special <laughs> our uh matt and my old disease. friend paul Back in the day when he still lived here and we were both uh, like students and or sometimes had days off. I remember a day where we went for like three or four pretty heavy beers at Underground at like noon on a set. (laughs) Sounds great. Uh, Headed up to our favorite Korean place up the road, killed like three or four bottles of soju uh, while we had food. And then we split up to head back our own respective ways by three or four in the afternoon. I fell asleep on the bus ride home, barely made it back, went home for a nap. It was a great day. I was down by four in the afternoon. That's great. Then you have a nap, dude. All got two exactly. meals out of it. A whole chicken. All right, I'm gonna take over and and <laughs> and do jump into my my next little segment here. Uh, so we started with on Andrew's episode, which is the episode three, um, to do a little bit called Thirty Years Ago Today, uh, and so we're gonna talk about the same things out of 1988, but slightly differently. So. Um, just kind of situate us, uh, what was going on 30 years ago, uh, and we're recording in January of 2018, so 30 years ago was January of 1988. Um, God, we're so old. The the Washington Redskins beat the Denver Broncos <laughs> in Super Bowl... Denver Broncos. I guess that 12. would be... I, I guess <laughs> it's 62 this... or 52 this year? 22. So it would be Super Bowl twenty two, um, XX I high, and I believe the Reds, uh, the Reds. Uh, my phone said the Redskins absolutely trounced them. It was like forty two ten. George H uh, W Bush was president. George H- the first Bush. Who was his uh, VP? Uh, Depends. He had a couple, didn't he? 
He had two, but one was really well known. Wasn't Dan Quayle on Dan, his ticket? Danny or? Quayle. I wish I'd taken Latin in high school so that I could speak to them when I went to South America. <laughs> <laughs> Danny fucking Quayle. Well, there was another one, too. Uh, yeah, I don't know who... F- was it Bob Dole that finished? Maybe. Yeah, that would make sense, because then he ran against... Senator Bob Dole. Bob Dole likes to hear Bob Dole. People talking about Bob Dole. Bob Dole. Bob I Bob voted Dole. for Kodos. Um... <laughs> Uh, I I didn't have as many uh, prepped because we I think we did the whole in the first episode. Burned them all in episode um, three. But uh, thanks, Chris. I wanted to. I actually wanted to ask Paul a question because he's probably read something that's relevant here. Um, so I was I was doing a little bit of reading about how like vodka kind of came into the the cocktail scene in the late eighties and nineties as something that we people were really exploring, mm. like. Have you read anything about like late 80s, early 90s cocktails? Like what would have been popular? Um, Anybody ever seen the movie Cocktail? I have yes, not. That was the soundtrack we listened to no. on every vacation to Saskatoon every summer and every Christmas. Okay, so here's the thing. Um, vodka well, actually came into, well. into the Vogue quite a bit earlier than the 1980s. Okay. Um, it was actually a promotional campaign, which is why the Moscow Mule is probably uh, historically one of the best-known vodka cocktails. Uh they were trying to make a breakthrough in the, I want to say the 1950s, though I should have done some notes into this, but it was it was a while back. <clears throat> and Smirnoff actually was the one that was the first breakthrough where they were advertising it as the true Russian vodka. Um, and again, if I'd done some prep, I, if I'd known this was coming, I'd have <laughs> had a better answer to this. But they had a big stock of extra or something, and they needed to sell it. And so they started doing a promotion saying, well, drink the Moscow Mule. Oh, might have been Stolly that they did prep this on yeah. now that I'm thinking yeah. of it. But it was one of the two. Um, and it was it was pimped as the like this unique, foreign, extravagant thing to, to drink vodka. And it became really popular. And they actually gave away the mugs with it. Copper mugs. Uh, which is where that whole thing came from. Um, I'm not entirely sure why it necessarily made such a big comeback in the 80s. I think it was probably... A little bit of a kickback to the neon disco fantastic cocktails of the late 70s and early 80s um and again referencing our mutual friend matt and my mutual friend kyle miller he's actually the one that made me realize that i really love cocktails because i thought of them as being that 1980s neon sex on the beach kind of thing um which is funny because my dad introduced me to the negroni in like 2005 and i i drank those all the fucking time and i loved them and i didn't think of that as a cocktail and then uh, I'd been drinking that for years, and I'm pretty sure it was Kyle in, like, 2010 or 2009, like, late. No, probably must have been 2010 because it was after I worked at Select. And he, he says, like, no, you love, like, you like Negronis. You like cocktails. Try a Manhattan. And then try this and try that. And when we first started hanging out, we get together at somebody's house, and he'd make me drinks. And I'm like, oh, no, no, I was wrong. Cocktails are awesome. Fast forward eight years later, and I'm where I am now. But, uh uh yeah i i I think the 80s vodka thing was perhaps tied into that whole idea of let's get as much booze as we can without necessarily tasting it um and i think there's a time and a place for vodka personally uh when i've been partial to it and when i am partial to it i'm more inclined to drink it neat with like something salty and fishy uh which maybe betrays a little bit of my mid-teens slavophilia but i just in cocktails it's boring i'd rather either have gin or rye it doesn't taste like anything well that's just it you the can eat vodka either... of spirits i you mean can... <laughs> the tofu of spirits wow 
a bit of a slip of the tongue there. You can either put in like a gin and give it a little bit more of an herbal edge, or you can put in a whiskey and give it more richer. Yeah. Oh fuck, excuse me. But um, <laughs> either way, you're going to make it more interesting. If you just drink vodka on its own, give me a nice bottle of Chopin, chill a little bit. I will enjoy the hell out of that to this day. But if I'm making drinks, it's pretty rare I'm reaching for vodka. No, that's fair. I was going to get mad at you for calling it the tofu of liquors. So I was like, fucking. But then, no, he's right. You're like, yeah, you're, yeah, you're, right. you're absolutely right. If you don't like tofu, I'm forced to agree. If you don't like you. tofu, it's because you don't like the texture. It has nothing to do with what it tastes like. Yeah, it's the flavor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can, yeah All right. Um, I'm going to jump right along here. When I, Matt and I did the pilot, we asked uh, some some generic questions. And this, this round is kind of more character driven. Um, so I'm going to just let you have the. The mic here in a sec but uh so it's a simpsons character that you empathize empathize with uh you see yourself in uh or that have any traits that kind of resemble things that you do in real life um and again we're uh picking uh, a member of the simpsons core family and then picking anyone from the simpsons universe you really you really want to talk about so i have had a hard time with this from the core family i'd probably say lisa um nerd well, yes, of course. Have you met <laughs> With me? love. Have you looked that, around that, my apartment? That, that's the direction Matt and I went almost immediately, too. So. I mean, there was an episode where she explicitly name-dropped my favorite author, so <laughs> it's kind of hard not to go that route. Uh, Thomas Pynchon, for what it's worth. Uh, though Gravity's Rainbow is not necessarily his best book. Loses my perspicacity! Yeah. Uh, no, <laughs> I, 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 I think I inherently am drawn to that because uh, I'm overly wordy and I'm prone to depressive episodes and I've read everything and so on and so forth. So Lisa's probably my, my connection with the core family. Um, from anybody else, I'm, I don't really know. Uh, I've been pondering that. I think some of this is probably hindered by the fact I haven't watched much of this in a long time, but maybe Professor Frank? Ooh, that's oh. what I was thinking. You read my mind. I I tend to be drawn to weird ideas. Uh, and I don't know. I, I don't necessarily fit in in a lot of places. So I feel like he maybe is. I have weird ideas for shit that sometimes pans out and oh. sometimes doesn't. I would say that's that's probably. Uh, those would probably be where I would go with. In terms of um, just looking at notes or who do I see myself in? I mean. Moe's there too. Maybe that's just the bartender. That's like just straight up uh, his activity and his like his his day to day. I'm a real fucking cynical person. Um, I'm I'm not exactly the happiest within my life a lot of the time. But I also take when I'm when I'm able to serve people and make something to make other people's days better and to tell them about it. I'm always a little happier. And while Moe. I mean, he has explicitly just shoved beer in people's mouths and say, just take it, drunky. There's also obviously some amount of pleasure that's taken from serving as that focal point of a community um, of like Lenny and Carl and Barney and Homer. And they're there every day. There's there's a family there, even if it's not necessarily a happy one. Yeah. Um, and I, I think reading a little bit into it, if Mo were to ever be taken away from that or made to not be able to do that, I think he would be saddened to be removed. Yeah, um, and that's something that I can really empathize with because when I have been a focal point of a community is amongst the times when I've been happiest. Uh, so I, I think I can see myself in that. Well, and I think I think I'm gonna because the the Simpson of the day bit that we were, are starting to do on this show kind of revolves around your answers. I think that's the one I'm gonna jump on 
uh, and get Matt and I in here talking about um, one of the things that that I love about the Mo character is just any questionable business practice that exists. <laughs> he's either involved in or he's like he's done it worse. Like uh, like he's smuggling Shamu out of SeaWorld. I was gonna say all the like <laughs> they've seen us. <laughs> that's what I was gonna bring up. All the like side animal the, smuggling business the pandas the pandas i think the one thing that i don't necessarily one of the, the i think the the toughest moments for me um is when when mo is dealing with like the depths of depression or his uh his rabid kind of like suicidal tendencies it's one of the the most awkward moments in the show for me because not only have I gone through some of those episodes myself, but you see it all the time in the liquor industry. You see people yeah. that are, are are in that frame of mind yeah. and, and like for real, not cartoonish. I mean, I'm putting my head in the oven at Thanksgiving. Like, um, and it was funny because I was actually thinking about this just earlier this afternoon that those who end up being uh, drawn that gravitate towards uh, the service industry often have, in my experience, a lot of the deepest problems in their own personal lives. Um, coming from myself as well. I mean, I'm pretty candidly, I deal with pretty severe depression sometimes and whatever. Uh, but I, I feel like some of that is is also related to being able to provide a, a really positive experience to other people in that you can remove yourself from yourself for a bit and say, I'm going to project all of this onto making sure other people, that my room, I'm going to work this room and I'm going to make sure everybody else has the time of their lives tonight. And that's going to push aside whatever it is that I'm feeling in that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, The sad subtext of that being that there are a lot of people in hospitality and the the food and and drinks end of it that end up not making it for a wide variety of reasons. So going way too philosophical. I feel like (laughs) no, it's true though, right? And when you when you yeah, I know you. I I can read into Moe's very candid occasional just like suicidal yeah nihilism and there's absolutely like, yeah it's it's a that's I, why I, I think simpsons goes deep is because it can and, and it can resonate on these on these I, real I have, problems right? i've been that person yeah, so yeah. not today old well, friend no. he's got the rope hanging and, in the closet right and, and for a secondary <laughs> character i like i think mo gets developed a little bit more in detail just because there's there's so many complicated things going like he's he's running every side game in town um he's He's dealing with, uh, as mentioned, depression and suicide issues. And I'm going to tie this into the next episode we're going to talk about um, is his kind of... uh, It's frequently mentioned that he finds Marge to be attractive and uh, would like to pursue some sort of relationship with her. Oh, hey, you bitch. Yeah. We can absolutely kind of jump into, like... Uh, like a finite moment in the in the Simpsons timeline uh, that really defines your experience with the Simpsons, uh, or that will like you feel is like super timeless that'll stay with you beyond thirty years in the future. I I think all of what we've been talking about really ties into that. For me, it's not. Some of this is also just that it's been a few years, so I'm having a hard time necessarily centering on specific episodes. But there is a stretch in like that core early ten years, which I'll come back to in a second. That you could almost pick any episode out of that. And I would say that those sit timelessly with me. Um, uh, uh, the incorrectly German translated Burns for Kaufman to Kraftwerk. Uh, uh, the 
I mean, anything with Burns, really. The, the one where he has his rosebud moment. Uh, the episode where Lisa tries to redefine herself and turns into a 90s hipster kid. I mean, any of that. <laughs> uh i i feel like that that sits with me in a way that i find kind of timeless in the same way that as with earlier shows we spoke about in the uh or other shows we spoke about early in the episode are kind of indicative of a particular time frame um to me uh that said it's probably a terrible episode to start somebody with but to jump into the next question of if i met someone who'd never seen the show what would i use to draw them in if you met someone who was naked in a phone booth It'd be Homer at the Bat, and I think it's a terrible yes. episode. Yes! That's a great episode, it's, it That is my favorite episode of the entire awful. series. I think it's probably not an awesome one to draw someone in with because it relies on in-jokes. But I would say if any bit of this very layered episode appeals to you, you're going to enjoy this show. Well, And that's one episode that I think, if Matt and I haven't talked about doing uh, in the preamble before we get into doing episodes mm. 30 years in the future... Like, I just want to do a Simpsons and Sports-themed episode just to talk about that episode. Oh, I don't the... care what the rest of it's I, about. I, I don't need to be in on the Simpsons <laughs> and Sports episode, but if you decide to talk about one in particular, have me on that episode. God damn it, Mattingly, I said shave off those sideburns! <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Mr. Burns, I don't know what you think sideburns are, but that's it! You're off the team! And the, the Springfield mystery spot. Oh, my, <sighs> that episode is just... Uh, layered with things that I love. Well, back to what we were talking about a minute ago. Lord Palmerston, Pitt the Elder. Lord Palmerston. Uh, so, so that would probably that would be the one that I would air, and it'd be if you found any part of this funny, go watch the rest of the early seasons because you will appreciate it. Do you do you want to get into the Golden Age debate? I I have a pretty strong opinion about this. All right, perfect. Three Pause to nine. Feelings. We love strong opinions. Season three to nine three to nine there are good episodes outside of that um i would say that that moe's the pomo thing we we're talking about a minute ago yeah was a decent one um there are obviously very strong episodes in season one and two but uh three has homer at the bat uh and a lot of other ones i'd have to go and look it up but like three to nine um was also the like Schwarzwalder era yeah uh, and I would say pretty strongly that when he was around, that was well, the best I think of the Conan show. was still writing for The Simpsons that in a lot too. of those. But TV, he yeah. came out a lot later than you think he did. Conan was like season four to like season ten. Yeah, but he's not well, he's well, not an OG when, Simpsons writer. I guess no, it would but he's in my he, golden era. Yeah. When did he start the late night gig? Would would give you an idea of when he stopped yeah, really writing for them. Well, it was after the one where, or right around the time where Bart showed up. Bart the had his thing on the Krusty the Clown show. Sit perfectly Conan. still. Only I may dance. Conan, yeah, yeah. Show by then. Which was actually before. <laughs> that was before the show premiered. That was yeah. about eight months before the show premiered. Um, but That's yeah, fantastic. I, I, I'm not saying that there weren't good episodes inside of that, but I would say th- seasons like three through eight were pretty much solid. Nine had like the the New York episode we talked about, possibly on Andrew's episode. Gungalish. Gungalish. Uh, so I, I would say that would be my golden age. I think there were good episodes up to about season 13 or 14. Um, when I have rarely tuned in since then, I have been at best underwhelmed. Uh, well, and I know Matt would argue that season one and two were a lot stronger than I think they were. But Season two has more strong episodes than you think. No, I, I know think exactly how many two. there are. Yeah. I just season two was good, but I don't feel like it hit the same notes. But it also has my all-time favorite episode, which, which was uh, Lisa's substitute T-shirt. See, and that the, one, the Dustin Hoffman. Episode. Yeah, that one never rang that strongly for oh me. Oh my god, it was too emotional. Eh. 
That's the tr- that's the problem with being middle class. Everyone you truly need will leave you for someone else more deserving. <laughs> <laughs> oh god damn it! Okay, not not my episode. Sorry. <laughs> You'll have your turn. Um, have my turn. Do you have like? Do you want to give us your favorite one liner? Did Did you already do it? My favorite one liner is because it's the one that I've used the most in my life, which I probably shouldn't say because this may reflect badly, but um. It was in, like, season six uh, when they discover about the trillion-dollar bill that Burns stole. And uh, Homer helps them flee. And as they're leaving, they say, let's blow this fascist popsicle stand. Um, I have said that upon leaving almost every shitty office job I've ever had almost every day to somebody. Uh, And I don't think anyone's ever quite gotten the joke unless I explained it to them. I don't necessarily think that that's their best one-liner, but it's definitely the one that I've used the most. Yeah, yeah. And I've also used that in jobs that are a little less relevant. But like any office job I've ever had, almost every day, either to someone or in my head, I think, let's blow this fascist popsicle stand. Um, And in terms of favorite gags, uh, I know there are others that I'm sure I like better, but uh, Cape Fear... One side trip, Bob keeps walking into the really rakes. the rake thing, man. <laughs> yeah. oh, that's Gosh, it was so bad and it's so irritating, but it's still fucking yeah. funny. Just because, I mean, bear in yeah. mind, I'm probably like the world's second biggest Seinfeld fan after uh, Maya Cooper on Twitter these days. But you mean Fraser? Fraser, what did I say? Seinfeld. Seinfeld yeah. I meant for yeah. I'm probably the world's like second biggest Fraser fan. So. My favorite, my favorite gag in The Simpsons. We didn't talk about it on our pilot. This is a question I obviously added later. Um, my favorite gag, and you're gonna shit on me too, Matt, is how much Maggie falls down, and you hear it <laughs> off screen. Is it like it's a running gag? Oh, it's every season of The Simpsons. Maggie falls like hundreds of times. Yeah, but what I mean is the question, like, what running gag, like, <laughs> or is it just like an overall gag? Because I like, I personally love uh, the. Uh, Oh, come on, Homer. Everybody's afraid of something. Not me. Sock puppets. <laughs> just the, like, deadpan, shitty look on her face. And she's like, fuck. And it's a tie between that and uh, the whole trampoline bit. Trampoline! Trampoline! Please don't bring home any more used crutches. This is a perfect time to ask you one more question, and then we're going to talk about Flaming Mouse. When do I think The Simpsons will end? Yes. Should have ended 10 years ago. I hope it ends next year. But when do, you, when do you think it will end? I think it'll end when one of the main cast dies. Do you think they're going to squeeze out another shitty movie? Probably. <gasps> I like yeah, that movie. No, that yeah. movie was garbage. You guys Fuck are wrong. both of you people. It's a bad Stephen King I thought it King was bad, ripoff. and then I watched it again, and That's, I was like, uh, I lolled. No, it's a good Simpsons Harry episode. Quopper it's the best Simpsons episode they've put out in years. <laughs> Which says Spider very little, pig, given when it came out. Spider Pig. That was bad. It was a shitty Stephen King ripoff. Does anybody miss the the phone, uh, the prank calls to Moe's? I was going to say, um, yeah, I'm looking for uh, my friend. uh, Huge ass. ass, The first time Hugh. (laughs) Huge ass. Can you check the bathroom for a huge ass? I'm I'm huge ass. ass. (laughs) I was going to say, who's the one who's actually? (laughs) That was the one. That's in the Flaming Moe episode. Hey, man, this is a prank call that's gone horribly awry. (laughs) Better luck next time. What a nice young man. Uh, so when we're making this, is this stirred or shaken? I think uh, it was stirred. It, they they just build it, it in a glass. Homer does it built? in a blender. Oh, that's right. Not, you can do a. I have a, a blender, but we, with the audio, we can just do like a like a beaker. Let's or a just mixer. say built. Yeah, yeah, build it. Just on ice. 
Uh, no, there's no ice. This They're is gonna very be clear horrifying. that it's no ice. Yeah. There, there's very clear. He, no ice. And he, like, he serves it just in a pint glass. I know so, this. I'm sets just, it on fire. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm asking as someone who has been a professional bartender for a, a decent chunk of his adulthood. If you'd like to mix it with ice, we can mix no, it with ice. We can just do this neat. Okay. It's, it's going to be I'll bad. Uh, I'll direct you because uh, uh, I did the pan out and I also watched the video that Andrew uh, sent us. Uh, which was Cocktail Creations, I think is the name yep. of it. We might have to put this on pause for a second while I go and do the mixing. Yeah. Um, let's just let's talk about the episode, and then we'll get Damn. to the cocktail. Um, this, Cheers, ripoff. Cheers, uh, absolutely. homage. Uh, I listed a few quotes that I love, but uh, well, I, just, I did the one while Paul was away. Uh, I'm making people happy. Mm. Um, I would there's say... the, the best Frank quote, in my opinion, ever. Um, when they're just trying to discover the secret ingredient in the drink. The secret ingredient is love. love. <laughs> Who's been screwing with this thing? <laughs> when Homer does the, grass, the uh, Phantom of the Mo Opera, grass. covers his head half with a hoodie. Mo. 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 <laughs> <laughs> the secret ingredient is cough syrup. Ordinary over-the-counter children's cough syrup. Mo. Which I also bought today. Mo. <laughs> I again register my yeah. refusal um, to consume. Well, and yet you tried the Skittle Brow. And one of my favorite um there's two Edna Krabappel moments in this Are there? episode that I like. Uh so Bart brings Krabappel. liquor bottles for show and tell <laughs> to prove that Homer invented the drink, not Mo. Yeah. And she's like, Bart, are those liquor bottles? He's like, I brought enough for everybody. <laughs> and he, put those in the teacher's lounge. You can have what's left at the end of the day. <laughs> There's uh, never And then left. she also hits on Homer in the club later, dressed like a total harlot. And she's like, hi, scrumptious. Want to ignite my drink? You're my kid's teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Single parent, are we? No. no. Let's pretend you are. <laughs> <laughs> Stay on target. Making a flaming mose. All right. Go do it. Get, uh, so I did the pan and like I looked at all of the bottles in the shot and I, I watched the video that Andrew sent. There's a really good YouTube of a guy making uh, a flaming mo or a flaming homer. Um, uh, but he only he only really circles in on the ones that are clearly clearly legible and so i think he puts tequila peppermint schnapps and creme de menthe in there <laughs> as well as uh the, he does put cough syrup in it i think yeah um and so homer actually grabs two bottles before that pan shot and one of them very much looks like a jack daniels bottle so i added that the first two bottles homer grabs out uh one's a tall clear bottle so i'm saying that's vodka and I picked Absolute Vodka because Absolute had all kinds of print ads in the 90s of like one-word ads like Absolute Culture or Absolute. Oh, yeah. Do you remember yeah. those? I remember those. So uh, an ounce of vodka? So an ounce of vodka. Um, and then the other one very much looks like a Jack Daniels bottle. So an ounce of Jack Daniels. Um, and then, then we go to the pan shot. Uh, so tequila is the first one and it's clearly labeled uh, i brought uh, probably way too nice don julio tequila for this particular cocktail yeah. but but i had one that i brought home from mexico and we're opening it uh, <laughs> and then uh the next one is a tall green bottle and i tried to think of 
weird things that would be in an old liquor cabinet that came in a tall green bottle. And the only thing I could think of was Pernod. So <laughs> an ounce of Pernod. Pernod. Oh, shit. Um, and then an ounce of peppermint schnapps. Uh, an ounce of creme de menthe. And then there, there's two little aperitif bottles. Um, which, if you have any vermouth or anything like that, Paul, an ounce of that. I don't think I do, but I'll take a quick look and see if I can sub in something. And then, I really don't want to put a shit ton of cough syrup in it, but I do have... Uh, I bought some Benelin coffin cold with a big cartoon grape on the front of it. Um, and l- let's just say a teaspoon. for. What do we have for tequila? Um, it's in... Most of his drink is cough syrup, isn't it? When he pours it in? Isn't he uh, like glug well, it in or no? He do- He just pour- free pours it in. Like by but... accident and goes whoops. Or, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think we can skip the part because there's no way in hell that this real-life drink is going to ignite. No, there's no uh, way this thing's lighting on fire. You'd have to float an overproof or or float something flammable on top. Um, was there gin for something? Um, no, the gin just happened to be in that bag of things that I grabbed. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, well, you can, if you want to put an ounce of gin in it, God damn, why not? so many ounces of Once things. Once I realized how lighting drinks worked, I realized that it must be a joke about what's in the cough syrup. Well, I guess the other thing, you could float the cough syrup, because I'm actually quite certain the cough syrup would light. You think so? Yeah, it's... it's. Um, I could put in some maraschino liqueur, if that's relevant. I mean, it's not vermouth at all, but I could do that with a couple of dashes of bitters. Sure. What? We're... We're, we're really, I mean, there. I don't think there is a right or a wrong way to make this, this cocktail. I think <laughs> making it right is the wrong way of doing it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like. If it's awful, just cut it with ice I'll, and. I'll certainly, I'll certainly an partake in, in at least a sip. Um, I would just, I would like a teaspoon really to see it. Hopefully it gives it a little bit of a purple tinge. Um. Andrew, take a picture when it comes back. Naturally. And we'll post it on our Instagram. Instagram. So while Paul's mixing this, we're gonna we're gonna plug all of our social media. (laughs) All of them. (gasps) So if you want to get in touch with the show, if you're enjoying what is what is compelling podcasts, um, you can email us at three zero years of dough at gmail.com. <laughs> oh God! Well, we we can definitely divvy it between like, us. I don't want any of this. I have to drive Eight home. ounces of liquor <laughs> and cough syrup. That's a... <laughs> ordinary, <laughs> over-the-counter <laughs> children's <laughs> cough syrup. Email at thirty years of dough. Thirty years of dough. Gmail. Thirty years of dough at gmail dot com. How do you spell dough? Is there an apostrophe in the email? There's no apostrophe in an email. Ever. D-O-H. D-O-H. And we're also at 30 years of dough. That's three zero years of D-O-H on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Wow. What? Wow. So Paul's busy mixing our what's likely to be our, our untimely death in the kitchen. <laughs> Fuck, I'm not calling the police. I'm just leaving. <laughs> 
in local news, podcasters die. Three podcasters found dead. <laughs> no one listened to the episode. Oh. <laughs> oh, if you die, I'm definitely posting it. <laughs> it passed the first test. I, I didn't, didn't go, go blind. blind. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so are we going to light this with a cigarette? Um, I, again, I don't, oh. I don't think it will light. So. Cigarette ash should be a crucial ingredient. Too bad none of us if smoke. We need more chemicals in this if drink. If you're a stickler <laughs> for the rules, if you want to I mean, I butt out a... No. 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 I was kidding. I have bitters. <laughs> No. no. <laughs> I think we might. I think we want to drink this. It's actually not as bad as you would Let's watch Slings be drinking. Bowie all knife, troll doll, glass eye. Oh, and cough syrup. Those are the, the things uh, that he finds in the lost and found in the episode. I might have lied. My favorite Simpson line might be uh, There's only one monster here, and it's the gambling monster that is ensnared your mother. I call him Gamblor, and we'll snatch her back from his giant neon claws. That is, it's in the show notes for you too, as well as Lisa Substitute. Nice. And then uh, Jimmy Carter. Oh, history's greatest monster. Yeah. He's history's greatest monster. <laughs> Jimmy Carter, the nicest man alive. I, must... I, I also want to, uh, while we're while we're still mixing, Flaming Moe's, the, the beginning uh, is like a full-length little clip of... Uh, what would have been like a Sunday infotainment show, like 60 Minutes or, or 2020 or that kind of thing. But it was I on Springfield. And there's so many so many gratuitous boobs in that like 45 seconds. Like Kent Brockman is just like in an Asian whorehouse or he's judging a bikini contest. Or It's all just fucking bikini ass shots. Yeah. With like this like loud eighties rock going in the back. Like boom I didn't think it was that bad. You've also just been drinking Skittlebrow. That's true. Nothing is bad compared to Skittlebrow. Well, gentlemen, we have a not so flaming Homer in front of us. If it makes you feel any better, I poured the largest serving for myself. Wait till you light it on fire. It smells kinda like Anise I feel like and we, I feel like you could light this on fire. <laughs> I mean, we can try. It's got to be on the balcony, but <laughs> it's it's like <clears throat> this is like someone's shitty attempt at making a homemade fernet. Well, bottoms up, guys. <laughs> well, gentlemen, happiness is just a flaming no, mo away. away. Is this a shot? I did it as one. It's not good. That's Why? actually not nearly as bad as I thought it was. Yeah. It's not. I really do think it needs fire. <laughs> like, I really do think the thing Fire to made it. it good. Want to try to light it? All do right. It. Let's see if I have a long light. <laughs> oh, smooth. Um, mouthwash comes to mind. Yeah. Well, yeah, because it's creme de menthe like, and... <laughs> Sambuca and toothpaste. Just one of <laughs> <laughs> You know what this also <laughs> reminds me of? Because I drank a lot of Fernet during or after the the wake for Brendo. Oh, me too. And then the next day, I, I, I'm, sh- I'm confident I must have thrown up that night. Stick. And the next day, you brush your teeth, but you still have this Fernet in your mouth. That's, yeah. You all fucking disgust me. Podcast over. Who said that? Huh? Woozle wuzzle. 
Woozle, woozle, wazzle. So I'd like to just point out that only one of us has to be up at six tomorrow for their shitty day job, and uh, it's the one that just did two of those fucking monstrosities. <laughs> Seriously, podcast over. Good night, everybody. Welcome to 30 Years of Dough. It's the super sidetracked, irrelevant show. This has been a production of Screaming Daxon Studios. Big ol' dicks.